Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. And just as uh, any time you thought that the coaching carousel was done spinning, no, it's uh, still spinning. And this is not going to be uh, a year where everything's going to be clean as as we've now had more than a handful of coaches that leave their current position since the early signing period. Lots to get into. The news of the day, as you know, by selecting this podcast from your uh, feed is that Mel Tucker has been hired as the new head coach at Michigan State. Of course, uh, Mark D'Antonio, he resigned right before the February signing period. And, you know, that this is a, a search that was very, very public. We've talked about it a little on the podcast. Now, we'll get into what it means for Michigan State, what the fit is like, where Colorado turns next, and the many different other uh, storylines that are packed into this hire. So, the w- with the news that Mel Tucker had been hired it broke late tuesday night like tom when it when it came across your desk today because because mel tucker had already come out on twitter and said i'm flat quote flattered by the michigan state interest but we have hashtag the build uh still to do here so i guess i guess the building's done congratulations to mel tucker new yankee workshop host he has finished the building uh what's what was your reaction when you found out that tucker was going to be hired uh well my reaction was what huh because i had literally just woken up okay Because, you know, I mean, that's when coaching hires normally happen is at like 2 a.m. on a Wednesday morning is when things first start breaking. Yeah, it is. I was surprised because, like you said, Mel Tucker had already turned the job down pretty much. And now, you know, after Fickle came and went, now all of a sudden Tucker's back. And so I thought, wow, they're probably paying him a lot of money. And according to Bruce Feldman, that's exactly what they're going to be doing. They're giving they pretty much kind of caved in. And gave him the, everything that he asked for because he was in a position where he had all the leverage, which kind of goes to what we've talked about on the last podcast and what we talked about last week, too, about, you know, coaches or schools maybe needing to hire their own agents to go through the hiring process and not getting themselves kind of in a bad position because this has nothing to do with Mel Tucker. He might be a great coach for Michigan State. Nor am I upset at Mel Tucker for leaving Colorado, even though, you know, there was that tweet going around that he said last year about how there's no transfer portal in the real world. Well, apparently there is. But, I mean, they're doubling his salary from all reports. In fact, more than doubling his salary. And they're giving they're throwing everything they have at him to convince him to come. And if this doesn't work. Now Michigan State's going to find itself in an even worse position. So we're like we were talking about in the mailbag, how I thought they were at a spot where they should just give Mike Trussell a year as the interim and then try to tackle it from there, see how that goes, and then move on to where you're at a more advantageous bargaining position than you were now. But apparently, I'm guessing that based on the fact that it happened at 2 a.m., which always, you know, everything smart happens at that time of day, the kind of the fallout from Fickle saying no and then that story in the free press about a lot of the uh, – the reasons behind why Fickled went with with the uh, fallout from the Larry Nasser trial and all that kind of stuff, the problems within the Michigan State Athletic Department. 
a part of me feels like this was more of a, oh my God, we have to do something to get people to stop talking about all this stuff. We need to do something. This is more of a cosmetic hire to me than anything. And again, it's nothing to do with Mel Tucker. It could have been any coach. I just feel like that this was somewhat of a panic move. Mm. What do you think, Barton? Uh, well, first of all, we, we are well aware that Mel Tucker is very seductive when he gets in front of you for an interview. Uh, you know, we heard all the rumors about Mel Tucker being a great interview before he got hired. Uh, heard the rumors after he got hired. Heard the broadcasters rave about uh, Mel Tucker when they meet with him for the broadcast meetings pregame. Like, Mel Tucker just crushes these settings. And so, look, uh, Mel Tucker, you know, whispered some sex into the ears of the Michigan State brass. <laughs> And they just couldn't, they couldn't quit him. They couldn't quit Mel Tucker, and they kept going back. But I, 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 I this hire though, I mean, it's interesting. It's just interesting to me that that he was such a a guy that they wanted to keep on, yeah. you know, pounding at and going after. Like to me, I, I I jotted this down. Like this is to me an understandable hire. I don't know how you can definitively say it's a good hire though. Because he's only been a head coach one year, his that that year had very mixed reviews at Colorado. They regressed significantly on defense. I know they lost a lot on defense, but they regressed in a big way. Thirty seventh in the country in yards per play on defense, one hundred thirteenth. Uh, offensively stagnated. I mean, they weren't great the year before either, but they were significantly. They they had fewer points per game by a pretty good chunk, and um, so. You know that that's the guy that you're that you're just sort of pounding at over and over and and doubling his salary and you know I just again I understand why the guy can recruit he's he's coached under and with some of the best the great coaches in the game he's got all yeah. the dust he's got everybody's magic dust on him he's yeah pick pick, pick your infatuation and he's got a little bit of uh of of it sprinkled in him and. He can, he's got Michigan State ties. He's, you know, he he's sort of, um, you know, he, regionally he can kind of fit wherever you want him and 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 can recruit in that sense too. But I'm t- in terms of just on the football field, look, it's still a, it's a guy who's been a head coach for one year and had a five and seven season. So it's you know, I I think again, understandable hire, solid hire, but I mean. We'll see. In in our era of championing a Dabo Sweeney or a Ned Ogeron, uh, I'm I am less likely to look at lack of head coaching experience as the one thing that's going to keep me from making a hire. I think that this hire was great for Michigan State, considering where the search had gotten. I think that if it's going to be Mike Tressel for a year and then get to uh, the next season, see if he's the guy, but then maybe you're also going to make another run at Luke Fickle or a Pat Narduzzi or maybe see what Mel Tucker does, I I think that you were going to have some lost recruiting classes. And I, I don't know if Mel Tucker is going to be able to prevent that from happening, but just to, you know, like – uh, from Ohio, played at Wisconsin, GA for two years under Nick Saban, 
at Michigan State, with D'Antonio at Ohio State when they won a national championship under Jim Trestle, um, at Alabama uh, for tons of success, then goes with Kirby Smart to Georgia when he leaves Georgia. He's one of the you know top 15 recruiters in the country now with ties all over the place. His, his NFL experience, as Chicago Bears superfan Tom Fernelli will tell you, might uh, have some <laughs> some differing uh, takes in terms of you know what his X's and O's are. But if we are going to be given chances to to coaches who like, like being able to be good in in the interview and being able to to whisper that sex into the administration administrator's ears at Michigan State, like I that just might be the fact that you're getting somebody who's just been in the game and and kind of understands the way that all the pieces work. I don't I do not think that I'm ready to take a step to say that the hire of Mel Tucker will lead to X number of wins or X number of Big 10 championships uh, at Michigan State, but I do think that you're at least getting somebody who's going to be taking over knowing the lay of the land in terms of the Big 10, uh, knowing what it takes in order to run a successful program. The guy's been Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Georgia. Like you just he he's probably pitched them on a vision. And according to reporting, what are we also getting? We are getting a doubled salary pool for the assistance. We're getting commitments for more facilities and resources. If he went in there and he he like brought out the binder and was like this is what I think we can take from Georgia. This is what we can take from Alabama. And this is what we can take from Ohio State. Like if if that was what won Michigan State over, I'm not going to fault the Michigan State administrators given the position they were in for uh, for running up the price to try and get the deal done. Wait, so you're saying that like the Mark Trussman dust wasn't some of the dust that makes Mel Tucker <laughs> so attractive? No, no, no. I was thinking more of the... Uh, the Saban, D'Antonio, Jim Tressel, Kirby Smart dust. <sighs> Fine. A lot of well, dust. I mean, that's a, it's a lot of dust. It, it's a lot of dust, but I mean, clearly I think the Tressman dust is what puts it over the top. <laughs> I mean, like the to like on the recruiting trail, Barton, this was not not just on the defensive side of the ball, but somebody who was really important in in building out some some top stat some top recruiting classes as a staff member of a bunch of those schools. I mean, yeah, he was, and and I don't want to, I, I don't want to take anything from his recruiting ability, but it's like, again, I, I think it's, well, clearly Nick Saban thinks he's thinks he's good. I mean, he's hired him multiple times. Oh, um, he was at LSU Kirby too. Smart, he's good. Yeah, he's hired. Yeah, I mean, like that's. So I think that's because those staffs are going to recruit well, no matter who is who is is there. So I think you read it not into like, oh, like look at the classes he's brought in, like whatever. Like Kirby Smart's going to bring in. And Nick Saban are going to bring in number one classes, no matter who their assistant coaches are. Uh, I think the more telling element there is that those guys think they're good coaches, and they they're going to they've they've hired them and rehired them, and so uh, and promoted them and all that sort of stuff. And so um, so yeah, I mean that's a that's a big plus. Um, and yet, like and and so and they had some good some some good guys that they landed in in year one at Colorado. I didn't think it was a it was some breakthrough class. I didn't think it was some wild new frontier on the recruiting trail for Colorado. So, but I do think that he does bring a competency and and, a, and probably a new perspective 
to the recruiting scene at Michigan State that will benefit that program. Um, but ultimately, again, I go back to just sort of the initial, like, I just, this is, this is understandable and, and it's solid. It's fine. Uh, it's, yeah. I will, I will say this as far as the recruiting for Michigan State. I do think that in one sense what he does, because if you look at his first class at Colorado, I mean, it's not like he was recruiting a bunch of Colorado kids. At Colorado, he was able to get a four-star from Louisiana, a four-star from Arizona, a four-star from Texas to come to Colorado. He's got you know guys from some JUCO guys, but he's got players from like the Southeast in his class. He's got California players, which you have to have if you're going to compete in the Pac-12. So I think that for Michigan State, which is going up against Ohio State and Michigan in the state of Michigan and in the state of Ohio, where I think a lot of Big Ten teams in that area need to have success, and in the Chicago region, I think maybe having somebody who's probably going to be able to recruit in those spots because he's a good recruiter, but has more access maybe to other areas of the nation that maybe Michigan State wasn't getting a ton of, maybe that helps for them going forward? I I, I think that it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, all right, so if we consider the higher fine and understandable, the the other piece of this is where is your level of outrage or how do you respond to the outrage regarding the timing of this move? Um, the, you know, the commitment to the program after the initial interest, but then ultimately going back there, the, a big piece of this conversation among the college football community, especially, you know, at this point in the off season, when we're talking about uh, changes to transfer rules, you know, they're, they're talking NCAA is in Washington, DC talking to Congress about name image likeness, you know, players rights and, and coaching salaries, like all these things are very much uh, hot off season topics. And in a way the the Mel Tucker hire, you know, sort of brings in a lot of these factors here. You know, we know that online is, you know, where, where the outrage just grows. I mean, they've got all kinds of nitrates in the soil of the outrage farm out there on the internet uh how how outraged are you i guess like barton how outraged are you and how do you respond to it i don't i i it's hard to get me outraged uh, but what i look here's the bottom line all right if you're a head coach just like word of advice psa stop trashing the transfers Okay, (laughs) don't have a soundbite where you trash transfers. Don't have a soundbite where you trash the portal. And if you do, then you better never leave your job. You better be content staying there for as long as you are allowed. Because if you leave, that's going to come back to bite you. And I I don't begrudge Mel Tucker for taking a job that is giving him double his salary, doubling his assistant coaching salary, and significantly increasing the resources in the strength and conditioning program. Like those are and 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 it's a program where you probably have more national championship upside. So you you I, I don't begrudge Mel Tucker for taking this job, especially when he turned it down one time for what would be assumed was a, a better deal. It was just this was too good of a deal to pass up. So look, yeah, go go do you, Mel Tucker, but don't say there is no transfer portal in the real world when you just jumped into the transfer portal. And so I just let's just all 
get out of this mindset, coaches, that transferring is quitting um, because everyone's looking for the for for their best situation, just like you are. Um, so I that, that that's that's all I'm at there. I mean, look, have at it. Just don't tell the don't don't shame the kids for it. Yeah, be mad at the system. Don't be mad at the coach. Be mad that the players that are at Colorado who literally just signed, you know, their their LOI last week for to go play for him now are finding their coach leaving. That sucks for them. I hope that the NCAA does the right thing and allows them to leave if they so choose to do that, if they want to go find somewhere else. But I can't blame Mel Tucker for this. I mean, if a similar or even in a lot of areas, better job comes open and is like, hey, we like you. We're going to give you more than twice of what you have now. It's really hard to say no to that, no matter the timing. And I don't think that this was one thing where Mel Tucker didn't have any kind of, you know, well, I don't know. Like, he probably thought about it. I don't think this was a just, okay, I'm gone as soon as that offer came in. I think that there's part of him. I think he's obviously clearly leaning that way, but I think there's still a part of him that was like, man, I don't know if this is the right thing to be doing. But when it comes to your life and your family and your well-being, that's a really difficult offer to say no to. Like, Chip, if Ty and Dan come to you and say, leave covered three, we're going to pay you twice as much to be on the solid verbal with us, you'd have to think about it, right? And then I'd say no. That's right, because there is no transfer portal in real life. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's hard there's there's so many things that are wrong that really aren't Mel Tucker's fault like it's not you can't be mad at him for doing it because nearly everybody when presented with a similar opportunity in their field of work would do the exact same thing it's just it's a crappy situation and it puts a lot of people in an awkward situation where now Colorado's in the same spot that Michigan State just was. And hopefully, maybe, you know, they won't be as bent over a barrel as Michigan State was trying to find somebody to replace Mel Tucker, where they go and they get somebody else. And then that puts another school in that position. So it's it's a vicious cycle and people get hurt because of it. But I don't think that Mel Tucker should feel any guilt for doing what he's done, nor should I feel that anybody should be piling on Mel Tucker for doing it. I mean, it's life. It's the world. Things happen. You know who I feel sorry for? Who? Me. Because we had the number one player in the country, Antonio Alfano, who was on campus at Alabama for about a month before he was in the transfer portal. And uh, he transfers to Colorado. And like the, the issue wasn't on the field. It was off the field. So he transfers to Colorado. And... Mel Tucker and Jimmy Brumbaugh are there and they're going to get him straightened out and he's going to, you know, he's got the right support system in place and look out, here we come, you know, not a bust anymore. And now Jimmy Brumbaugh takes a job at Tennessee and Mel Tucker leads to Michigan State. And now Antonio Alfano is up there in Boulder with no coach and <laughs> probably a little more free time than he had before. So I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm back on the concerned bus. There's a lot of activities in Boulder. That will welcome you with open arms if you got free time. Right. right. <laughs> uh, do you think part of me thinks that specific to Mel Tucker, as much time as he's spent in coaching, uh, as many different stops as he's had across, I guess if he started as a GA, I mean, it's almost like 20 years uh, as a football coach. It, I mean, there's got to be some of it too where 
you you're looking at uh, all the different times that maybe you thought you were ready for a head coaching job and, and all the different times that maybe you have interviewed or maybe you your agent has contacted you and, and times that it, it didn't happen. And, and the Colorado job maybe felt like the, the first one that you were going to get. And now all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to have an opportunity to go take over, not just a, a big 10 program, but, you know, we, we talk about it being running fourth in, in its own division, but it's still a top half of the Big Ten program. Like, I, I think that for Mel Tucker, you've been in the game long enough. You've seen enough twists and turns. You've you've changed jobs enough that you just know that this, this train might not come around to the station again. Uh, it might not come around at all. Like, this, it almost feels like the, the kind of opportunity, the money for sure, but even just the, I don't know, if I, Mel Tucker, am going to get um, another – here at Colorado, if I'm going to get another job opportunity like this, and you just got to take it. Well, that was the irony of this Michigan State situation was like Michigan State is a really attractive job, and there's a lot of coaches that would really want that job, but the timing of it just made it just a really tricky sell, and it looked like they missed their – you know, Mel Tucker turned down their pitch initially – and that's understandable too. But you know, second time around, I guess he, you know, he got he got sucked in, and uh, and I get it. You know, that's a job you can win at. Yeah, like I think, I mean, again, not knocking Mel Tucker, I think that this is a this could be a very good hire for Michigan State. But I think that if Mark D'Antonio resigned on December fourth instead of February fourth, Mel Tucker doesn't have the Michigan State job right now. Mm. What do you make about the uh, the Michigan State? Um, there, there was some reporting that maybe the timing of Mark D'Antonio stepping down also had to do with sort of the back and forth conversation with the administration where D'Antonio had one idea of the way the exit plan was going to be set up. Then he caught wind that the administration was already doing some homework and that's what led to the sudden separation. Do you think that that played a role in the timing? (laughs) Oh, like... You mean Mark D'Antonio gets pissed off and stubborn about the way things go down and, you know, doesn't want people to tell him what to do, do. Yeah, tell him what to do. Sounds that sounds totally that's, implausible. That's out of character for <laughs> Mark D'Antonio. I, I don't know. He just seems like a malleable, cooperative kind of person. Right. right. Uh, Very understanding. Yeah. So you what, guys want to hear my Mark D'Antonio impression? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> spot on yeah that's incredible we haven't had a better coach impression on this entire podcast that is the best that yeah. is the, you could absolutely um you could mistake that for mark d'antonio without question <laughs> what is uh the what what is the mel tucker um michigan state ceiling look like it's gonna mm. depend how he recruits Yeah, because, yeah, it is. Because that's, so you got to kind of be able to recruit, you know, I don't, you don't have to jump out the gate and recruit like Ohio State, but you got to be able, I think Michigan State, from a profile standpoint, from a location, resources, whatever, I feel like you should be able to compete with Penn State. And so I think, yeah, it's, He's got to, that's what he has to do. I mean, he has to, and, and, and again, Colorado doesn't have the, the same recruiting ceiling probably. 
Um, so it's hard to judge him off of what he did at Colorado on the recruiting trail. But but no, I think I think you're right, Tom. Like I think he's got to get get rolling, um, and we'll see what kind of talents he can bring in on that roster. Yeah, it's it's not going to be easy to have. I mean, I know we've the way that things ended with Mark D'Antonio the last few years and how things got stale with that coaching staff and they plateaued or just kind of dropped and then plateaued. It's going to be really difficult for him to have that same kind of run of success, not even just considering the playoff berth that they had, but I mean, like all those 10 win seasons and competing, you know, for the division titles and winning the division titles and playing for conference titles, that's not going to be easy to do. So if you're looking for that kind of like ceiling, I think it's there. I just don't think it is a likely outcome. I think that what we're looking for is a lot of eight and four regular seasons, some nine and threes, and then you get a right, you know, the right group together, some enough veteran talent or, you know, experienced players and young talent, and maybe they can get like a 10, 11 win season and compete with Ohio State to win a division. I think the ceiling is to have your your best seasons be like to to for me to set the bar at going three and zero against Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan seems uh, too high, and I would love if if Mel Tucker exceeded the expectations because congratulations, Mel Tucker, you did it. You exceeded Chip Patterson's expectations. But uh, I do think a Get reason, a yeah, I think a reasonable expectation is that in your best seasons, you're taking down two of those three. That you and that most seasons you're you're trying to at least get one. I think that falling short of expectations and a disappointing ceiling would be Michigan State beats everybody else but can never seem to get a win against uh, the trio of Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. If you're delivering at least one win uh, every single year, I think that would be a pretty successful run for however long it goes. Yeah, that sounds that sounds reasonable. Silly us being reasonable. Uh, Coming up on the other side, where Colorado goes next and and whether uh, this says anything about the Pac-12 in general. Next. Hey, everybody. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray with CBS Sports. Football, soccer, calcio, football. It doesn't matter what you call it. This is the world's game, and we want you to be part of the family. Subscribe to Que Golazo, a daily soccer podcast from Stevia Sports, bringing you the latest news, analysis, commentary, and an overall celebration of the beautiful game. From the Champions League to the big leagues in Europe, U.S. stories, and the Americas, join us every weekday as our team gives you your daily soccer dose. Look up for our show every morning and subscribe to Que Golazo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Now get ready to yell, Que Golazo! Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you on NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. So there's one uh, big 
piece in the the Colorado coaching search. And it's that Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, is a Colorado legend. He is going to be a sentimental favorite. And as one of the big storylines of the NFL coaching carousel was Eric Bieniemy and where he might be interviewed, where he wasn't interviewed, and all the different jobs that did not end up uh, in the hands of Eric Bieniemy. He's he's very much on the the tip of the tongue for anybody who's an insider within the the coaching business. After that, I think things get a little bit more widespread. Uh, Barton, how do you how do you see the the sort of pieces unfolding here for uh, the Buffs? Well, uh, so here's where I started in tr- in sort of trying to uh, figure out where Mich- where Colorado goes. Um, I tried to pull up some old coaching search stories from the last hire. I mean, we were only a year ago, right? When, um, Michigan, when Colorado was looking for a head coach. And so it's, it's kind of hard to find some of those at times, but I found a, one from Ross Dellinger, uh, that had Mel Tucker on the list. So, you know, he was at least sort of in the ballpark and the other candidates on that list. All right. Were Matt Wells, who was at Utah state at the time. That's a no, because he's now at Texas Tech. Uh, Tosh Lupoy, who was the Alabama DC at the time, that's probably a no, because he's now in the NFL. I don't even know where he landed, but he was at the Browns last year. Jim Levitt, who was, I guess at the time, off the market? Um, no, but no, was, he, he was a candidate last year, for sure. I know, but what, where, where was he a candidate from? Was he? He the- had been the DC at Oregon, but before that, he was the DC at Colorado on McIntyre staff. Right, but he had not Chris gotten Nepal to. Didn't keep him as this DC. Had Cristobal run him out of? Uh, they parted ways at that point. I guess that maybe that's where we were. Yeah, and Taggart had not brought him to Florida State yet. And Taggart never did. I mean, he came to Florida State as a. So he I mean, he didn't coach anywhere last year. Correct. Until he came in and just sort of looking over the shoulder. Of, uh, yes. of, of 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 Taggart's current DC, and now he's at now FAU he, with Taggart. Right, that strikes me as a as a no right now. I mean, that doesn't seem like the the best fit, or, or certainly wouldn't be the sexiest hire. And then Jeff Tedford, he just what retired for mm-hmm. medical reasons. Uh, bunch of no's, and then the other one on there, Eric Bieniemy. All right. Eric Bienemy obviously makes a lot of sense because Eric Bienemy was played at a high level at Colorado. Won a uh, national title there. Won a national title there. Um, certainly is a hot name right now because he's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs who just won a Super Bowl. Um, has coached at Colorado. That said, if I'm Eric Bienemy, there ain't no chance I'm taking this job. And the reason is like, and look, maybe he does. Maybe Eric Bieniemy has, um, you know, is drawn to, to going back to the alma mater and, and getting that thing rolling again. So look, there's no reason. I mean, it's certainly not shocking to think he might take it, but they did. They just won a Super Bowl. They're going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl again. I mean, they probably got a chance to win as long as Patrick Mahomes is there. Um, but he could potentially go back to the Super Bowl again next year. 
And next year, given all the buzz and, and, and a lot of sort of the media scrutiny, like why isn't Eric Bieniemy getting considered for these NFL head jobs, I just got to believe he's got an NFL job waiting for him next cycle. So he comes back to, to Colorado, and the last time he was at Colorado, it was under John Embry, who, and in two years, they won three games. All right, so he's already failed at Colorado once. This Colorado team is going to be breaking in a new quarterback, loses a potential first-round draft pick at wide receiver, and has gone has has failed to make a bowl each of the last two years. Like it's not going to be an easy job. So this Airbnb hot name right now has the option going to Colorado, getting paid I don't know whatever it is three million dollars, and taking a really hard job and if he fails there for the second time then where does that leave Eric Bieniemy? like whereas he could pl- he could stick in the NFL and go take that job next year wherever it is and he's maybe has success there if he doesn't he's right back to being a quality OC in that league like I just think this is this is not if, if I'm sort of mapping out my future as as Eric Bieniemy. I just don't think this is that appealing to me. So there's other guys that I would go with, uh, and I can dig into that and some of the I think more some of the the, the options that make sense. But I'm curious if if, if you guys disagree with the Eric Bieniemy perspective there. Yeah, no, I don't think Bieniemy is going to go. I mean, like you said, the alma mater always has a certain pull, and he is close with their athletic director Rick George. So maybe he decides, you know, damn it, I want to go save, you know. My, my 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 school but i don't i think that if he's just career focused i don't think it would be the best move career wise cuz like you said i think the only reason eric bieniemy doesn't have an nfl head coaching job right now is that the chiefs went one super bowl i think i think that kind of impacted his ability to interview for other jobs so it's it's kind of ironic that the reason he's so wanted is because of how well they did but how well they did kind of kept him from getting a job but i think if kansas city loses in the afc championship game bieniemy's probably got a head coaching job somewhere right now so I think that the Chiefs are going to still be good next year because they still have Patrick Mahomes. So he's still going to be a name that is in the running for NFL head coaching jobs last year because of the success he's had and the fact that Andy Reid assistants tend to move on. There's tons of them all over the place right now. So I have a hard time thinking that if the Colorado job is offered to him, and I have a hard time thinking it won't be, I I just don't know that he's going to look at that and say this is the right move for me. Yeah. I feel like the last out of the last 10 times that we've had the no-brainer mama come home, you know, alma mater or maybe I was a former assistant there. I feel like the out of the last 10 times that we've tried to draw those kinds of connections in a situation like this, it's only actually happened maybe two or three times. That often it makes for uh, it, it makes for better stories and and we sort of go with like the well of course that makes sense like let's let's go do this not really taking into consideration the uh, the multiple complicating factors that might be preventing someone like Eric Bieniemy to uh, to make that jump i i is the colorado head coaching job better than Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator job i mean it pays more but is it a bet i don't know how do you guess i mean how do you define I better i guess a head coaching job I think that there's a the, the Kansas City offensive coordinator job besides pay leads to better opportunities than the Colorado head coaching job does. Well, 
I mean, the, yeah. Because uh, Bienemy could be like the head coach of the Chargers at this time next year. Right. Right. And, that's that's fair. Yes. And what is and what does color and what is the Colorado job? Like the Colorado job is uh, steep. It's a mid to lower level job in the worst conference in the college football. Uh, in the Power Five. Power Five. Sorry. Right. You're so, <laughs> easy. It's gonna say the Sun Belt <laughs> Conference USA were like, yeah, that's right. Flames. Uh, but yeah, this. I mean, it is not top half of the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is currently running fifth uh, among the Power Five conferences, and I, I, I just think that you've got more. I think I think you've got yeah. I think opportunities is definitely a big part of this, but I mean you're also coaching for Andy Reid. You've got a, a great quarterback. You've got I mean there's there's a lot that I think makes the entire experience outside of whatever you would feel in terms of being able to take total uh, total ownership and building up the program and that's all projection like that what Colorado fans that are screaming for Eric Bieniemy right now are projecting their own love of Colorado onto a former player that they loved and just sort of hoping or believing that he has those same passions and he has those same goals to build Colorado back into the triumph of yesteryear. I mean, we we do this game, uh, the, the mailbag. Our listeners are always putting in like, all right, uh, Miami, Nebraska, Tennessee, uh, you know, Florida State. Like, who's going to be the next program that was good to get back to being great? Like, Colorado is even like two software updates ago. Like it's a whole like wouldn't you say it's even a whole era from those schools that we talk about from the mid nineties, from yeah, it's, its sort best years. It's been a long time since Cordell Stewart and um, you know guys like that were running Colorado because I mean we we've talked about it too in a mailbag where we were asked about like programs that we have a soft spot for and Colorado is that program that I have a soft spot for because growing up when I was first starting to watch college football, that Nebraska Colorado game was one of the few that was on TV every single year and I would watch it and I just really liked everything about Colorado. So I hope they hire a good coach and I hope they get back to being good because I like Colorado and it's more fun to be when they're doing well. But I just don't think that right now, when you look at the landscape and you look at the PAC 12 and how everything's built up there and the kind of way that things are getting separated, that this is the most attractive job. I don't think they can do what Michigan state just did and throw that kind of package at somebody to lure them away from a, you know, a power five job. I think if they're going to hire a coach that's had power five experience before, it's going to be somebody that a either isn't coaching right now, like a Butch Jones or B somebody who, you know, isn't really is it used to be a power five coach, but maybe is now at the group of five, like a Jim McElwain or somebody like Derek Mason, who was a candidate for the gig last mm. year before Tucker got the job and now finds himself with an AD that just resigned and he's kind of on the hot seat himself. So maybe oh, it's Derek time for Mason him. would run to Colorado. right <laughs> That's now. That's what right I'm saying. Now. It's yeah. just, will Colorado be really interested in a guy who just went three and nine. So right. I don't know. All right, Barton. I know, I know who Barton's into because I saw him tweeting about it. Yeah, well, so first of all, I, I I'm I'm always interested in like, um, like I went to the our Buff Stampede site, our, our Colorado site on twenty four seven Sports, just to sort of see what the vibe is there, um, you know, who they want, things like that, and uh, man, it's there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of it's it's a desolate place right now. There's just because like if you're like basically you had a coach that wasn't even like a baller. 
yet. Might might be, um, but what hadn't even proven to be this like, you know, m- monster hire. And you lose him because just a, a team paid him sort of the going rate for big time college football that you can't match. And you lose him after signing day. And so there's definitely like a a vibe of like, man, who the hell could we get? Like there's 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 a lot of um, you know pessimism it seems among the Colorado fan base uh, as to kind of who they could could get and so and I think the reality of who Colorado can get right now like you're not gonna get a sitting power five head coach uh, like Tom said maybe if you want to go make a run at Derek Mason you could probably get him but do you want a coach that just went three and nine. Uh, you, I could argue probably Derek Mace is a better fit at Colorado than he is at Vanderbilt, and he might be more successful there. So hey, maybe you do take a take a swing, uh, but I think more likely your your options are get a group of five head coach or go get another strong coordinator. And most of the strong coordinators out there it seems are to me the, on the defensive side. So you know who is that like? Dan Lanning at Georgia, you could run it back, same thing. Uh, Brent Venables at Clemson, you ain't getting him. Uh, Clark Lee at Notre Dame, eh, maybe. Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, I mean, that's his that's his home base. Uh, Trade one Wisconsin defensive back for another. That's right. Uh, Mike Elko at A&M, you know, he's, uh, he, he seems pretty, like, geographically agnostic. Um, Alex Grinch at Oklahoma. That, that makes some sense. He's coached at Washington State and, and knows the Pac-12 landscape. Um, so, uh, look, I think any of those guys, if you can get them, would probably be pretty decent hire. Um, but I think more likely where – like, I, if I'm Colorado, I'm, I'm, I'm probably hiring Troy Calhoun at Air Force. And if, if Troy Calhoun doesn't get this Colorado job – because this is one of those coaches that's constantly just sort of like, you know – the oh and also maybe this guy on the cot list you know you got the big the, the john gruden's up there and then you got the you know the more realistic candidates and then the the, the sort of the the sleeper candidate and troy calhoun's sort of been the sleeper candidate on every hot board for seems like a decade but this one makes sense i mean look a he just beat colorado this year with air force 10 win season he, right 11 wins 11 wins and he is, I think you could, you, and he runs the option, but he has a much more diverse, robust background than that because he's been an offensive coordinator in the NFL under Gary Kubiak, uh, been an assistant, maybe coordinator with the Broncos. Um, so, like, he's been. Plus, as we saw this year, too, with like Air Force, when he has the right personnel, I mean, Air Force was still at like a flex bone option team this year. But they threw it. They were throwing a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> he could open things up when he has the right personnel for it. And I think the whole thing, like at Colorado, okay, like what are you, like what can you be? How can you beat people? And I think that a, a way Colorado can beat people is, yeah, I guess you can go try to recruit Texas and California and, and you know, do what everyone else is doing and be athletic and, yeah build it that way i guess you can shoot for that but i think that there's a lane for colorado just just develop at a really high level maximize their talents be really disciplined and and win that way and get a coach that's not you know looking for the next job 
and I, you know, I think Troy Calhoun just like it just seems to fit. Like this is if there was if there's a power five job that's going to happen for Troy Calhoun, this one just seems to make sense to me. Does you know that this this is looking back at the the reasons why you know we were talking about the timing is really tough for Michigan State to make the hire. You know how do you leave right after the recruiting class at this point in the strength and conditioning program? But as as those same concerns pop up, I I look at the Troy Calhoun pitch and I'm like, well, I mean, recruiting at Air Force at the academy is a little bit different than at Cincinnati. It's not like he is, uh, if he were leaving, it would be a big loss for Air Force. But, I mean, isn't that sort of a different, you're, you're, do, you're looking for different kinds of guys, different kinds of players. Uh, was it OKGs? OKGs, but like the Air Force version of it, like the military version of it. It doesn't, it doesn't seem as though he'd be, it, it doesn't seem as though while his absence would certainly be disruptive given the program that he's built up and the success that they've had, it just doesn't to me, and I, tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to have that same kind of ripple effect um, from the like recruiting aspect of this. Ripple effect at Air Force? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're... I would I would think that if, if Calhoun leaves, whoever the offensive coordinator is becomes Air Force's head coach. Right. Like I don't yeah. I don't like the carousel stops there. I don't know who I don't know who is who is the associate head coach on that staff or whatever, but I I would guess that they've got a succession plan in place. That's that's the way this goes. Right, who else? I, uh, I think Chris Creighton is another one I would throw in there. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, I know. I I put together a candidates list. I put Calhoun was on there. I put Brian Harson as a name that they would probably target, but is not something. I mean, considering that he's turned down other jobs before, I can't see Colorado, particularly in February, being the job that Harson finally decides to leave Boise for. You mentioned other coordinators on the defensive side, one on the offensive side that could, you know, be good and also weaken one of your division rivals, Graham Harrell. Ooh. Yeah, that, that, that'd be fun just for the continued chaos at Southern Cal. Mm-hmm. And then I, I mentioned Butch Jones, Jim Levitt. You mentioned Derek Mason, Jim McElwain, Sarkeesian, maybe. He's got plenty of Pac-12 experience, obviously. And then if you look on their current staff, you know, the Tyson Summers, defensive coordinator, has had coaching experience at Georgia Southern. Was not great head coaching experience, seeing as how they fired him in the middle of the second year. But that wasn't really as much about Tyson Summers as a coach, as much as it was a fit because he wasn't running an option and Georgia Southern wanted to run the option, or at least their fans wanted him to. Uh, Jay Johnson, Mel Tucker's offensive, he was the offensive analyst at Georgia, came to Colorado with Tucker as the offensive coordinator. Has plenty of off offensive coordinator experience at college levels, never been a head coach. And then Darren Cheverini, who's the assistant head coach at Colorado, wide receivers coach, was there before Tucker, has been there since 2016, mm. and has been considered like one of the top recruiters on the staff. So maybe if you wanted to stay on staff, that's somebody you could consider going with. But it's not like a list of names out there where it's like, oh, yeah, that's the guy we got to get. Well, because also if this job was open as four other jobs were open – it was probably going to be the fourth job that we mentioned on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we're getting together to talk about the coaching carousel on uh, December 1st and there's a handful of jobs open, then we, we've probably worked our way all the way down here. Uh, you mentioned the Brian Harson thing. I only find that interesting because if I don't think it will happen, I agree with you, but 
if Brian Harson were to leave, that would certainly provide a new wrinkle for what seemed like a squashed beef. We did, I guess we didn't talk about it much on the um, on the podcast here, but Boise State's relationship with the Mountain West was tenuous there for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We got we had some some competing lawsuits and briefs filed as the Mountain West was trying to uh, sort of iron out what the future of its media rights look like. Boise State in the last media rights negotiation was able to carve out its own payment and sort of its own special place in the media rights deal that included a relationship with ESPN that didn't necessarily extend all the way to the rest of the conference. And, uh, you know, I was think we weren't really sure if we were going to see a, another little batch of conference realignment or if, you know, what was going to happen. But it the all of it seems to have been settled Beef has been squashed. Uh, Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson's done that a few times now during his tenure uh, in college athletics. But if if Brian Harson were to leave Boise State for Colorado, I would consider that a new wrinkle in uh, that ongoing offseason story. But I agree with you that in general, that that doesn't seem like the job that uh, that he'd be looking to move for. Yeah, because but, off the off the top of your heads, do you even consider Colorado a better job than Boise State? I think that's I. Off the top of my head, I think they're competitive, equal. But uh, that, like that's, but to that point, Tom is like, look, if Brian Harson really wants to send a message in a bottle and toss it out to sea and say, hey, uh, I'm I'm game to to leave, uh, he can wait till next cycle and probably get a pretty good mm-hmm. job. I'm not sh- I'm not sure Colorado's the one he jumps for. Like, yeah. Boise State is probably going to be winning ten games and competing for the Mountain West Championship for the next four years. Yeah, and all he has to do is wave the flag to his agent and say, "Hey, you know, let him know." And Brian Harson gets calls from I, I bet some pretty big time programs. Um, anything else from this uh, from this hire that stands out, or any any other lingering thoughts on the Colorado job? Just that uh, bad news for the Pac-12, and now that both Mississippi State and Michigan State, two programs that are all in other Power Five conferences, but are not, you know top tier in those power five conferences were able to come into your conference and just, you know, pluck your head coach away with money. Yeah, Pac-12 just gets, just continues to get dunked on. It's like a coaching farm system at this point. Like if you do well in the Pac-12, unless you're at like Oregon or USC, every other power five program out there is realizing now like, yeah, we can get that guy. Yeah. And Mike Leach like tried to get out last year. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, just a year later he, he gets out. Uh, yeah, yeah. sorry, man. Tough, tough time to be to be Pac-12 commissioner right now. Are y'all are y'all really going all doom and gloom on the Pac-12? How are you spending this positive on the Pac-12? I just, I this sounds disrespectful, but I just, I didn't have, uh, I don't, I don't have the expectation that the Pac-12 is playing the same game as everyone else, and. I think that that's it, that is somewhat of a decision that's been made among probably the Pac-12 university leadership, like all the university presidents, because if you were to sit sit around, and I understand we've made this joke a few times, but like seriously, if you were to sit and watch, you know, a week of Pac-12 network, you would not feel that football is prioritized. And if you watch I, a week of the SEC network, you understand what's paying the bills. I get that, but I don't buy it because we got to remember when the Pac-12, when the network first started and they went through all this and they got all that money, they got Rich Rod, they got Leach, 
They made all these big time hires with the newfound money that they'd had coming into their coffers from the network. And we thought, hey, look, the Pac-12 is ready to play ball now. But now in the years since then, we've seen the other conferences surpass the Pac-12 as far as their revenue goes, whereas the Pac-12 is kind of stuck in what's looking, you know, like what they're getting like 30 something million a year while the SEC and the Big Ten teams are getting like 50 to 60 million a year. That's a huge gap. And now that these other conferences have far more money than the Pac-12, they're going in and they're rating their coaches. And the Pac-12 is not really replacing them with anybody because they can't afford to play ball. So I think that, yeah, the Pac-12 right now is not in a great position. And I don't think it's just that they emphasize their Olympic sports more than some of the other conferences do, and they do. They they are I, very proud to be the conference of champions in mm-hmm. all the very high-minded uh, ideals and values that come along with that. Exactly. But, I mean, let's look. If you look at the conference, here's one. Maybe this is too simplistic, but their premier football program in history has been USC. Look at the condition USC football program is in. Their premier basketball program historically, their blue blood, UCLA. Look at the condition that's in. So in the two major revenue sports, their two blue blood programs are in awful shape right now. And I think that reflects the conference as a whole. Mm. Barton, any final thoughts? Uh, no, no. Hire uh, Troy yeah. Calhoun. Well, yeah, final thought is uh, there is no transfer portal in the real world. <laughs> we've, we've learned that lesson the hard way. No transfer portal in the real world. Oh, man. All right, Colorado. Good luck. You're on the clock. Our next rooting for you. Yeah, rooting for you. We'll be we'll be back. Uh, we'll, we will be back uh, next week on Monday. Another edition of the Mailbag Headlines and our second edition of the Cover Three Book Club. Glad you all enjoyed it. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Himmelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found.